I've seen a lot of advertising disasters over the years, but I've also seen some spectacular wins. This week, my guest is one of the smartest advertisers I know, and it's going to be a real treat for anyone who's looking to level up their Facebook ads or start dipping your toe into Facebook Messenger marketing. I made a lot of notes in this interview, so I suggest you hit pause, sharpen a pencil, grab a coffee, and get ready to look at Facebook ads in a whole new light. This week, my guest is Carrie Gottschalk, one of the world's leading Facebook ads consultants, and she's going to open up the curtain on her business, her services, and some really cool strategies you can start implementing straight away. Hi there, and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle, and every Monday I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second right now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and you can grab some older ones when you're finished with this one. Don't forget to join our Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Carrie. So this week, my guest is Carrie Gottschalk. Carrie, do you want to maybe start just by introducing a little bit about who you are, where you are, and the kind of work you do? Hi, of course. Yeah, so I am in Denver, Colorado, and what I do is I primarily focus on Facebook and Instagram e-commerce advertising for health, wellness, and athleisure clients. And in addition to that, when Facebook opened up the destination to also market to Messenger back in 2017, I started to learn how to use Messenger and build chatbots for all of my clients as well. And that's something that I share and speak about how to do at conferences all around the world. I think you are one of two people I've met probably in the last couple of years that when I meet them, I think, wow, this person's great fun very entertaining <laughs> but it's only when i get back home i realized holy cow they're also really really smart because when you meet at a conference and something like that a lot of the time you're not really focused on the business talk but you really do some business yeah so um where did we meet it was in, in london, london which conference was it? it was chris ducker's conference yeah and that was a lot of fun um but yeah, so a lot of the times when I try to explain what I do, people do understand the e-commerce side of running ads on Facebook. And that's something that I just absolutely love. It's very easy to make the clients happy, especially when you say you just spent 10000 and made them 50000 You have a happy client at the end of the day. The other thing, though, that is a challenge is explaining how messenger marketing works. And people tend to think it's its own bubble, it's its own business, but really it's just an extension of Facebook advertising, but instead of sending them to a landing page or to a website, you're sending them into Messenger and you're able to actually engage, nurture, educate in Messenger and build that relationship and have those conversations that are a little bit more personal that end up actually assisting in sales. So it works really well for new and prospective customers. And a lot of the people that I do Messenger marketing for that kind of got me started was for events. So um, that's where I first saw it being used for digital marketers selling tickets to TNC. Um, I saw Facebook doing it for their F8 conference. 
And then my first client that I tested it out on in 2017 was for TEDx. And it was just really exciting. People got in, they asked questions about the events. We followed up with them. Maybe a few months later, asked them if they wanted to buy new tickets to the next event as at a discounted rate. And we saw really great results. So it still was a type of conversion-based campaign. I see a lot of people using messenger bots actually on their website as well as I probably see them there to be honest more often than I'm on the receiving end of a Facebook ad driven messenger bot and I often wonder do you find that there's maybe a a section of the population that's resistant to messenger bots or do you think that's maybe something we think that there is but actually the reality is when the bot's well designed people are actually quite happy to engage with it. I think The latter is true. A lot of people aren't familiar with them and how they work. And what just happened actually on March 4th is ManyChat, that's primarily who I work with, put a lot of new rules and restrictions in. So like any new marketing channel, it's always fun in the beginning until marketers ruin it by sending out too many (laughs) messages or broadcasts. So they want to make sure that it's being used appropriately. And when you said that you see it on websites, The messenger funnel and flows have a lot of different growth tools. So if you're not seeing it in a Facebook ad, you could still see it at an event on a poster board with a QR code, or Mm. you could install a rough URL or a short link at the bottom of an email where they could click on it and start chatting. Or you could put that snippet of code on the website and use it for customer service where they can chat on site. And it all goes into the same place. And that place right now, it's Facebook Messenger. And how it works and why it's been so successful, especially in the beginning, is that we don't ever want to trick people, but you know if you hit a landing page and you give your email, you automatically know you're in their email marketing system. What people weren't realizing at first is that if they messaged a business page first on Facebook, that automatically made them a Facebook Messenger subscriber. Unfortunately, what was happening is ManyChat had the broadcast tool where you could send out messages to them. They weren't supposed to be promotional, but people were breaking those rules and sending discounts and flash sales. And that's really not how it's meant to be used in the beginning. You can put promotions on the back end, but what you really want to do when you get a new person into Messenger is have a conversation with them, ask some questions, find out their preferences. And then after you've engaged with them and gone through that like no interest factor, then you can start pushing sales or discounts. And that's why that TEDx TEDx example was so well or went so well is because we engaged with them at the event. We gave them the schedule. We gave them speaker information. We gave them lunch information. We gave them information about where the after party was. Then we followed up with them and asked them what they thought of the event so that we could get their feedback. Then we followed up with them again and let them know when all of the sessions were live on YouTube. So if they missed any, they could watch them. And then we followed up again and said, you are the first to know about our speaker releases for our next event. So they got a lot of information that was valuable to them before we came in maybe on the fifth or sixth message and said, we're about ready to release ticket sales. We have a limited number for 40% off would you like this offer? So again, we weren't pushing the offer on them. We were asking them if they wanted it, which is how Messenger should be used opposed to e-commerce advertising. 
um, when you put an ad out for e-commerce, it's usually like, here's our product, click to buy it now on site. But for Messenger, you don't want to do add to Messenger to sale. You want to do add to conversation, nurturing, building that relationship, then to sale. So I, I was listening to what you were talking about, the how to get people, and your example was for an event, into that Messenger flow. And yeah, my my mind was doing cartwheels with so many ideas <laughs> that why don't many chat explain it like that? Uh, <laughs> it's, it makes so much sense the way you described it there. One thing that has puzzled me is again, from, a, from an online perspective, how to p get people into that messenger flow. I think when you're, when you're in person and which perversely you would think in person in the physical world, it should be more difficult, but actually I think, the way that you described it there it sounds much easier but the the way that you instinctively think that it would be done is facebook ad to facebook messenger flow but that's exactly what you said just now that you shouldn't do if i took things correctly you um, should do add to messenger flow but once they get into messenger you shouldn't be trying to sell them on the first message right so what a lot of people do and um, some of the most successes that I've had with Messenger and especially Messenger opt-in strategies is to make it fun and engaging. You can put an ad up that says, hi, do you want 40% off of tickets and you'll get a code, which is okay. But what's more fun is to quiz people or survey people or ask them questions. So especially if you're giving away something giving away something for free, like TEDx, we'd ask people if they wanted a free backstage pass with their ticket purchases so that it wouldn't prevent a sale. Or if they wanted an upgrade to a VIP or meet the speakers or something, high value, low cost to us. And it also always required them having a ticket. But another thing a little bit more creative that I've done is, for example, I had a supplement company and how do you make selling calcium sexy. <laughs> so we were targeting women over 55 on Facebook with an ad. And what we were doing is we we're asking them, are you getting enough calcium? Take our quiz to find out. And then throughout the quiz process, we were asking them which food or product they thought had more calcium. And what we were actually trying to do is educate them about um, plant-based calcium versus dairy base since the whole dairy campaign was back in the 50s and we really wanted people to get away from drinking a gallon of milk a day and you know eating more healthy greens so through the quiz it not only showed them which kind of food had more calcium it also added up a score we gave them the score at the end we asked them if they'd want custom recommendations sent to them or a consulting call so we were able to also get their email so then we had a double opt-in of not only a messenger subscriber, but also an email subscriber. And then after that, we followed up with, hey, thanks for taking the quiz. Here's a discount code for 15% off if you'd like to purchase calcium on site. And that and worked better. Oops, sorry. No, no, carry on. Oh, that worked better having the offer on the back end of the conversation than having it on the front end. So when I said, again, you don't want to do add to messenger to sale, you don't want to do add to messenger to discount code because they do just feel like they're being sold. But if you do the add to messenger to quiz, to conversation, to recommendations, then to discount code, that's how we saw the most success. 
That makes much more sense. Yes, now I've got it. And that whole quiz process, is that taking place within the Messenger bot? It is. And what's really nice too is you can set the Messenger bot up really quite easily and quickly. Um, I know Kelly Noble has a lot of videos and most of them are under 10 minutes. So you could just watch a video, figure it out and have it set up within probably a half hour. Um, but outside of setting it up within ManyChat, you also can export all that data and put together some very, very easy custom integrations. So I could connect that quiz to Google Sheets and have the user name, email, and the survey um, result questions all put in. That way I could have a custom profile put together for that person. And that way when we sent them recommendations, we could see what food they were picking and what their score is. You also can do a higher level integration where you put it into a CRM that just might require a zap. Or you can also connect it to a native integration like MailChimp and put together a custom list in MailChimp and the second they submit their email, it'll auto import to MailChimp and then you can put an email drip campaign behind it too. I hope people are writing this down. <laughs> That's so good. One question I have, and you're probably the best person to ask this, and this has puzzled me over the years and I kind of came to my own answers, is you see online almost two camps. There's to build a personal brand content marketing community and then there are the people who just try and face themselves facebook add themselves to wealth and i'm curious to know from your perspective as somebody who spends a lot of money on ads other people's money hopefully <laughs> what does is the impact or are there benefits to having a really strong brand as an advertiser and i know this sounds like a stupid question but there are lots of people who spend a lot of money on Facebook ads that will just say, well, you just need to interrupt a scroll with a random image, make an offer, and you can sell something. I see this literally said like that all the time. Um, do you understand the question? Yeah. Are you talking about as a personal brand, like if I were to run for myself, or are you talking about as client positioning? Well, I'm trying to do this without naming names because you'll know exactly <laughs> who I'm talking about. If I have an offer... And I get that offer in front of the right person. I manage to stop their scrolling, make my pitch, and have the, the conversion process in place for them. That's one thing. But if that's coming from a recognized brand, whether that be personal or corporate, as an advertiser spending money, what's the difference to you? So technically, people are not set up for success if they just put one ad out and hope that first ad converts. What makes advertising really successful, especially in e-commerce advertising, is you want to make sure you're pushing people through the full funnel from awareness, consideration, conversion, hot, warm, and cold. So what I do with a lot of my clients is I have funnels set up. I'll have a level one, a level two, a level three, a level four. Level one is going to be peer prospecting, acquisition, cold audience. So I might put a lot of lookalike audiences in there. I might put a lot of different interests, personas, start testing them out. And I'll also have exclusion audiences in there to make sure I'm not targeting anyone on that level that already knows who I am, that has been to my site, that knows my product. What that allows me to do is hit, it allows me to hit that new audience first. And if that new audience decides to click, engage, interact, watch a video, um, go to site, I then can create different levels of custom audiences to put on those other different levels, two, three, and four. 
four is usually going to be purely retargeting. Two is going to be that they kind of know who you are. They've liked your page. They've engaged with your post. Three is going to be like three level three is going to be a lot warmer. That means that they've spent 25% of time on site. They've watched 70% of your video or something. So when you start to move people through that funnel, what that allows them to do is get, it allows them to get closer to the path to purchase. So on that first level, what I might do, and I think I was telling you about this client before we jumped on that interview, but um, I have a client that has a 3D printer for kids right now, which is performing amazing, unfortunately, because everyone's stuck at home with their kids right now. <laughs> but what it's doing is it's actually solving a problem for parents. It's allowing parents to keep their kids entertained at home, educate, assist in STEM learning. And that ad that I serve up on level one is going to be more of an informational video. This is our product. This is how our product works. These are product reviews. These are product features. This is a really happy kid entertained by the product. What I can do from there is then create a warm audience out of anyone that might have watched one of those videos. And I really like to use videos on level one because they can communicate so much more, so much faster and visually than any plain text and static image can. Then from there, when they get into the warmer audiences and even up to the retargeted audiences, that's when we say this weekend only save 20% um, buy a new bundle, which means you buy the printer and printer food. So that after getting them through, educating them, them seeing it quite a bit, that's when we really hit our stride in success with those purchases. What also happens a lot because this is a little bit higher ticket item. Um, if you think about social media and Facebook, a lot of it is kind of disrupting that newsfeed and it is about discoverability. People are going to be able to buy something on a discoverability factor within a day if it's under $50. Most people can afford that. But because this product is about $350 to $400, I'll see a lot of add to carts. And then I'll see quite a few initiated checkouts, but then only a fraction of them purchased. So that means they might be sitting on their wallet and waiting a week or two but then they come back and buy it. So I always have a retargeted audience set up too for anyone that has added to cart, initiated checkout, or abandoned their cart without purchasing. So then they also get a reminder ad saying, hey, you forgot something. Did you know you can buy it this weekend for a discount? So those are all different ways to advertise, I guess, a little bit more properly to get people through the funnel and to educate them opposed to saying, here's my offer, please buy it now. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I real my question previously was a little bit inarticulate, but the client that you were talking about just now with the 3D printer for kids, you mentioned to me earlier that they'd been on Shark Tank. And I guess a question is, did that Shark Tank branding being associated with that product, does that have an impact on how effective your ads can be? It did before the pandemic. A lot of what we were running was as featured on Shark Tank, but we repositioned with all of the stay at home orders to actually show happy kids, to talk to parents. And a lot of our copy changed from as seen on Shark Tank to 
keeping your kids entertained at home and assisting in STEM learning. And ever yeah. since we did that transition, we actually have gone from probably a three to four ROAS up to an average of seven, eight to 12 ROAS a day with all of this. Yeah, that's quite impressive. <laughs> and one thing, again, I'm curious about is some e-commerce in particular, people, they go straight to advertising. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I do wonder is if you have a client that's been quite active in terms of content marketing, does that bring you any benefit as an advertiser? Yes and no. So what I do when I take on an e-commerce client is I not only I'll, I'll evaluate the site, I'll see how many products they'll have, I'll see how much their products cost, what their margins are, shipping costs, except like those, that's all important, but I'll also see if I'm able to set up all of those audiences successfully. So those audiences being set up successfully within that funnel that I was just talking about depends on how much data is there. So if that client has no content on their Facebook and no fans, that limits me from setting up a custom audience of all fans or setting up a custom audience of all engagers. Or if they have no videos, that limits me from setting up a custom audience based on video views. Um, another thing is also site traffic. So if you're not putting content on your site or driving traffic to your site, that limits my audience that I can retarget for site traffic or time on site. So having those things in place first is actually extremely valuable. And if you do have those things in place first, but there still is lower data points, I honestly recommend the first month that you just go in. It could be low budget because some of the metrics are extremely cheap, but go boost a video for $100. And most of the time you can get a video view at a penny per view. Go boost mm. some of your content first. If you boost a content or boost the content on page, you can get those engagements again from a couple cents to 20 cents. But once you get all those engagements on that post, then you can create a custom audience off of those engagements. The other thing that you can do also to double dip a little bit on those engagements because they are so cheap is everyone then that engaged with that post. If you click on that number, it'll open up a whole list of all of those people and then you can invite them to like the page. So now you're not only paying for your post engagements, but you're getting page fans for free by making the effort to invite them to the page. I would never have thought of that. That's such a good idea. Yeah, because fan campaigns can be expensive. I've seen fan campaigns cost anywhere from $1 to $5. So I recommend people boosting their content and then inviting people to like the page. And My eyes are literally with, watering right now. <laughs> yeah, that helps with all the numbers. And then once you have a decent audience size that has engaged, watched videos, been on your site, then you're going to be set up a little bit better for success when it comes to trying to run a conversion-based campaign. See, that is exactly the answer I was looking for. That's such a good answer to that question. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I guess this is going to be one of Bob's daft guy questions but I'm curious to know from you if a small business owner because many of my listeners are small business owners be that sort of independent consultants or local businesses 
yeah, we have some corporate listeners, but the majority of businesses are very small. What's the first thing if they've never really spent any time learning about Facebook ads? It, there's quite a lot to learn. Where would you suggest they spent their time first? I always recommend people go to Facebook Blueprints and start to look around at some of the modules on there. If you're brand new to Facebook advertising, you need to understand what the campaigns and campaign objectives are so that you're selecting the right campaign. And you also need to know, again, I'm going to go back to audiences, but how it affects your audiences because what's going to make you the most successful is knowing who to target and doing it extremely prepared so that it assists each other. So you know that if you boost a video, that allows you to create a custom audience off of those video views. And then that allows you to create a lookalike audience off of those video views. So out of one single boost that could be really cheap, especially for a small business, if they only want to boost the video for $20 to $50, they need to know what kind of data that's creating for them and how they can use it to their advantage. By creating that custom audience off of all video views, you now have a warm audience who already knows who you are, and that will help them get closer to the path to purchase. And then by creating that lookalike audience, that'll also help you prospect a little bit more preparedly. A lot of people will go in and say, I just want to target people in London from a five mile block radius outside my store that are men and women age 30 to 50 interested, let's say it's a pet shop, you know, that are interested in pets or animals. Um, you can do that, but you're still guessing because there could be a lot of people that like dogs that don't own a dog. <laughs> But if you get people to watch the video and get them on the site, I probably won't go to your pet shop's website if I don't have a dog. But if I do see that video, if I do have a dog, and then if I go to the site, that's probably meaning I'm more likely to buy from you because I wouldn't be on your site if I didn't have a dog to buy toys for or something like that, you know? So getting that custom data out of everything you're doing is just so important. And it's good to run a variety of campaigns and knowing that they can all build into each other. If you run a web traffic campaign to get your site or your site traffic up, if you run a video campaign, like I was just saying, to get views, to educate, if you run an engagement campaign to see who's engaging with your content the most and inviting them to become a fan, those people that actually say, yes, I'm going to become a fan, probably are actually a lot more interested in you than the person that just engaged with it that didn't accept the fan. So being able to put all of those audience together and then using that just to assist in what you're trying to do, I guess would be what I would say would be the most important part. Mm. And why I keep going to the audience data too, especially with people trying to sell online is the rule of thumb is you need traffic before conversions. And too many people want to start at the bottom of the funnel. They want to say, here's my ad, here's a conversion campaign or a traffic campaign, go buy something. And they want to do that without getting people all the way through the funnel. If I don't know, you know, anything about you, if I haven't engaged with your content, I'm probably not going to buy from you. So running a conversion campaign is just 
going to waste a lot of time and money if that's the only thing you do or if that's where you first start. So I recommend auditing that content that they're already doing, trying to see what content is performing well and what content isn't performing well. Um, I love Larry Kim, and I don't know if you've ever listened to one of his talks. They're quite entertaining. But he always says, boost unicorns and not donkeys. <laughs> and basically, if content is doing well, amplify it. If content isn't doing well, learn from it, but don't force it when it comes to ad spend. I really liked what you said about everybody wants to advertise to the bottom of the funnel. Superficially, it makes sense to try and sell your product through an ad. But actually, if you look at everything else in digital marketing, you're talking about getting people to take that first step into your funnel and then nurture them down. But when we look at advertising, so many people are, as you said, they're trying to advertise from way up above the funnel, way down to the very bottom. And it's going to be so hit or miss. It's such a, an elegant way of advertising that you described there. I really like that. I'm curious, and I'm curious a lot because <laughs> your industry is one that's fascinating for me, but I have a client. It's not actually a client yet. They will be, but they've been working, and I think this, is, this happens a lot, where a web design company will simply put on their website, we also do Facebook, Facebook ads, we also do Google ads, we also do SEO. So this client has spent what's for them a reasonable amount of money with very little return and i think that's very common what are the most and you're probably in the position of having to catch that ball quite often when somebody else has dropped it what are the most common mistakes the people at the entry level we take money for facebook ads market tend to make sorry what do you mean by that well you're quite a sophisticated Facebook advertiser who really focuses on doing that a lot. If somebody has simply come to the conclusion, well, I know a little bit more than the customer, so I'll be okay. What are the most common mistakes you see people who take money for Facebook advertising make when they're at that sort of entry level small business space? Like, should I take on this client type of thing? No, they have taken on that client and they've screwed it up. Um, what are the most common ways you see semi-professionals screwing up other people's Facebook ads. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what happens um, a lot of the time when something doesn't perform well, it means they didn't qualify the client properly or they need to look past the Facebook ads. So for an example is I took on a high-end fashion jeweler in New York City that was in Nordstrom's, Neiman's, Saks. They had an established brand, a huge budget, I qualified them. And I was like, this is going to do amazing. I'm so excited. And once we ran the spend, and I think we started off with a $500 to $1,000 test within a couple days, we saw the ads working. So the first thing you look at is, are my ads performing? Do I have enough clicks? What's my cost per click? What's my click through rate? And I was like, okay, the ads are working. But then where I was like, what is going on was we had an insanely high level number of add to carts, but very low initiated checkouts and no purchases. So it's knowing how to look at the numbers all the way through the campaign. 
one, are my ads working? So you can tell by those three numbers, yes, the ads are working or they're not working. Then is it working on the back end? So that high number add to carts, but low number initiated checkouts or purchases made me say, okay, I need to look at the website. What happens when I add a product to cart? And what was happening is that client had decided the day I started the test to put a new banner on their website. And that banner was covering up the cart. Uh. <laughs> so people were adding product to cart, but they had no indicator that it actually got added to the cart. So they were clicking on it 15 times. And then they didn't realize that they added that same product to their cart. And then they couldn't find the cart even to check out. That's a very unique example, but um, it's also like I was qualifying a client. Someone said, you do e-commerce, you should advertise my friend's hot sauce. And I was like, send me their website, let me look at it. And they had about five different hot sauces, so very low SKUs. Um, usually you want a client that has more than I don't know. I, I like clients that have more than 50 SKUs or products on site, but um, they, have, they only had five hot sauces. I think it was $12 a bottle, but then you went to add it to cart and then you went to check out. And when you went to check out, they wanted $8 for shipping. So those are other things, you know, just going through the path to purchase, what could hang people up and no one's going to pay more than half of the cost of the product on shipping. Um, so that turned it into a $20 bottle opposed to a $12 bottle and $8 compared to $12 is almost the cost of the product itself. So it's just yeah. little things when bringing someone on, finding out where, if, if this did get screwed up, where and why. So is it the ads? Is it the placement? Is it the bidding? Is it, um, Facebook, sometimes when you select campaigns, when they're not conversion, even if you're doing traffic, the bid optimization at the bottom of the ad set might default to impressions opposed to it bidding on clicks. So you don't want to run, well, you do and you don't. In certain cases, you don't want to run a website clicks campaign that's bidding on impressions when your ultimate goal is site traffic. So it's just double and triple checking how everything's set up, how's it optimizing, even something as little as knowing your attribution window. How I was saying earlier, products under $50 people can usually buy, so that's a one-day bid, one-day click. Something around 80 to 150 might be a seven-day attribution window. Something above three to 500, which makes it harder for that impulse purchase, might be a 28-day window. So just a bunch of little things. You have to think about buying behavior and think about how you'd purchase an item if you served yourself that ad as well. No, that's a really good answer. There's a lot to think about in there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. My mind just goes all over the place when I start to explain things. <laughs> well, that's why you're a guest on a podcast. <laughs> I'd like to dig into your own business a little bit and particularly how you build your own personal brand, how you reach your customer, basically. I know you do a lot of speaking, you go to a lot of events. Um, I can make some assumptions, but I'm often surprised at how left field some things can be. Um, I find most people, their business comes either through referral or it comes through content marketing or direct selling or 
ads. What does that typically look like for you? So I am terrible at putting out content. I do not run my own ads. <laughs> um, a lot of what happened that I felt made me successful, and I think it just kind of all came together and it was never planned. But when I went independent three years ago, I'm entering my fourth year of business. I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to offer? I'm not a full service agency. And then I said, well, wait, what do I like to do? I don't like to write content, but I'm in social media, but I do like to run ads. So I said, I am only going to run ads for my clients. I'm not going to offer them anything else except being a media buyer. And then I was getting people that wanted me to boost posts and do some of these lower budget things that I wasn't seeing an actual return on and it was hard to measure. So then I said, I'm only going to run e-commerce ads. And that went well too, but I realized with all of the different types of clients, it was a constant change of thought process. So then I said, what industries do I like? And I liked health, wellness, and athleisure. I'm an active person. I live in Colorado. I go hiking. Um, I work out. And I was like, I like this stuff. Why don't I just market it? So from there, I niched even further into health, wellness, and athleisure. And what started to happen was it sped up the learning process. So if I found a funnel for a campaign for leggings that worked really well, I could go reapply that then to the hiking's clothes company. And then I could go reapply that to the running band company. And also what happened from there is once I got into the health, wellness, and athleisure space with e-commerce ads, I had a bunch of case studies for similar type clients, and they felt more confident hiring me knowing that I had the experience in their industry. What also was nice about that, especially the athleisure side, is if we were marketing a new pair of leggings, that model usually wouldn't be standing barefoot. She'd have shoes on or a jacket or something. And that client would then refer me to the shoe person. And then I'd be running ads for the shoe person and bring them on as a new client. Then the shoe person would have another clothing line that they'd partner with and would refer me to that other clothing line. Because um, not all people that do clothing do the same type of clothing, but they do yeah. have to pair it with a different type of clothing. Your shoes probably came from one store where your jacket probably came from another store where your jeans probably came from another store. So that made it really easy to learn scale and grow very quickly and to get referrals. And then because I've been doing this for so long, I noticed that I had a very high, um, client rate they weren't turning over and the only time I ever really lost a client was if they left to go to a new company and if a new CMO came in and said we just want to put this all in an agency and not manage 15 consultants well then that client that left that went to a different company would still bring me over with them and then that new place would also have more clients and they'd refer me over and over and over so it was always just asking you know, this is going well. Do you have anyone else you're working with that you can refer me to? Also knowing up front, I always ask when I sign a contract, can I get a case study out of this or is there an NDA? If there is an NDA, how can we turn this around into a case study with saying it was a leggings company instead of it was this brand? Is this okay? Type of thing. Yeah. And then 
yeah, that, that pretty much is how it was able just to grow and how I'd get clients without making a lot of effort to really advertise or pitch or anything like that. It was just keeping track of results and honestly just asking for it. I, I was kind of expecting it to be largely referral, but I know you do do quite a bit of speaking and obviously that's a lot of work. So what sort of contribution does the speaking sort of play within your positioning? The speaking is new. Um, I think I told our friend Lauren back in the summer of 2018, I go, I'm going to put it out there in the world. I want to speak next year. <laughs> and well, that, yeah, and I'm seeing it everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it just it happened and a lot of it was building confidence. But what the speaking does is allows me to gain exposure, position myself as an expert, and honestly educate on how some of this stuff works. I couldn't come out in 2019 and say I'm just gonna talk about Facebook ads because that was already a full circuit. But no one was really talking about Messenger yet. And honestly, talking about Messenger is simply just a little bit of a backwards way into talking about Facebook advertising. So that became really beneficial. And then on top of that, what was really nice, um, especially as a speaker, and I also do this, like I mentioned earlier, about the chatbots for events. But at the end of all of my presentations, I would put the QR code and I'd say, who wants my slides? Because a lot of the time you go through your phone at a conference and you have all of these crappy pictures on your iPhone that didn't really come in clear because the slides were too small or too big or too far away. So I would add value by saying, I know I just talked about Messenger. You might not still fully understand it, but if you scan this code, I'll give you my slides. And then you can kind of poke around in my Messenger to get a feel for how it works and how it interacts and engages and what it does. So I was almost giving them two resources. And I think last year alone, I was able to grab two or 3,000 emails just from doing that to help with a lead list. I also had a lot of people in my Messenger and my subscribers went up. And then I had a lot of people following up with me in Messenger saying, I get this. This is cool. How do I do it? And how do I hire you? Because I don't know how to do this myself. <laughs> yeah, which is music to your ears, I guess. Right. Or I started to do it and I got stuck and, you know, like I, I would want people to go home and figure it out and be able to do it on their own. And there are a lot of people that do, but they're just starting out. So they might be missing some tags or some rules or there might be ways to audit it and make it better. So at the end of the day, I just want to help them. And if they're just too flustered or confused by it, I'll go in and build it up for them if they ask me for it. There's one one thing I really want to ask you, which is rolling back a little bit, but I, I was speaking about how I saw that you were speaking everywhere in the research that I was doing. And you said, no, really, I was just at the beginning of that. I had a bit of a confidence issue around that, but I decided I was going to do it, but it worked. And I'm curious to hear from you. What was it that you did that led to all those opportunities? Because a lot of people have to wait a long time for that to happen for them. Um, I guess I, I just did honestly kind of put it out there. I was in, um, I am in a Colorado women in social media group. And I told those girls, I want to speak more this year. And it's not like I was starting from somewhere cold. I'll give you that information in a second. But 
one of the girls said, I know someone having an influencer marketing conference, I'll recommend you. And they hired me. Um, another person, I, I actually added it to my LinkedIn profile that I was a speaker and educator. And I set up um, in Google Alerts call for speakers. And I started to get found on LinkedIn and asked what I did for speaking. I started to find the Google Alerts and I started to apply for speaking. Um, again, Lauren, my good friend, she does all my branding. I had her put together a speaker resume for me that looked professional. I also was helping with Social Media Day Denver just organize the event and I asked Erin uh, Sell if I could speak just for 20 minutes because I built a bot for the event and I wanted to introduce it and tell people how to use it at the beginning of the event. So, I mean, you don't have to start out with, you know, a 45 minute hour long speech. It was, hey, let me get started. How do I get in here? How do I start to build a resume? And also having recordings. I wanted to make sure everything was recorded so that not only could I grow and learn from how I was speaking, but that I could get better and have that to put on my resume as well. And when yeah. I said I didn't just start out cold, um, I don't think I mentioned this, but I have been teaching a digital marketing certificate course at a college for five years. And that course is nine hours a quarter, three three-hour classes. So I actually was used to standing in front of a classroom, educating people already on social media best practices for up to three hours at a time. So to look at a 30-minute session, I was like, oh, this is amazing. How do I make it that short almost? It didn't seem that long <laughs> to me. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, that, that really does help answer some questions. So yeah. my last question really is, obviously, you've been in business for a few years now, and you sound very busy. Has the team grown beyond you, or is it, are you really still taking care of most things yourself? It's still just me right now. My goal was to actually grow and develop past myself this year. Um, been a few setbacks with, you know, the economy and everything going on right now, <laughs> people not being able to leave their houses. But um, yeah, when I went independent three years ago, I kind of just said, I'm young, I'm single, I'm going to have fun, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this on the road. So I was working remote actually for the last three years, nomading a little bit. I think I traveled to 24 different countries and that's why I was okay at the time of with it just being me. But this year, and I honestly don't think I could have picked a more perfect time to stop traveling, unfortunately, but in uh, November, actually, right when I got back from uh, London, I said, I'm going to stay home in 2020 work on growing my business, work on scaling my business and making it, you know, larger than I am. And outside of, you know, the whole not being able to travel rules right now, I also made one for myself and got a puppy to make sure that I'd stay home. So I will be home working on my business for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah, and you have a ridiculously cute puppy, um, although it looks quite large now. Yeah, he was 17 pounds when I got him at two months, and now he's 52 pounds at five months. Oof. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah, that's we'll a big dog now. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I should ask you is the same question I try and remember to ask every guest, and I have remembered quite consistently recently, 
And that's what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started five years ago. I just wish I would have had more confidence sooner. I know there are a lot of people that work for other businesses or work for other agencies. And I knew I kind of always wanted my independence and I wanted to make my own schedule, but it was always just too scary um, to leave and try and start your own business. And I know I sat probably at a desk for way too long and I wasn't happy. And I think I just would have had, wish I would have had more confidence. Um, I still to this day get nervous, get imposter syndrome. I'll get some amazing opportunities and I'll know that even today I'll still sit here and be like, why me? Why do they want me to speak at conversations? You know, or why, why did they invite me to this event? Or how on earth did I get this Shark Tank client? And then I'll get really nervous and be like, okay, I know I can do this though. But with just starting out, I think it, it's scary. You don't know, um, you don't know enough yet. You don't know where you're going to niche and if you should niche. I know a lot of people that start out their first year want to be a full service agency or want to do too many things. They'll say, I do ads and I do SEO and I do, I don't know, graphic design and web development. And they feel like they need to do everything all at once. And I just wish someone would have told me it's just as easy as finding what you like, the industry you like, and picking one thing and being good at it. And that's going to help you excel. That's a really good answer. And Carrie, if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? Um, I think I gave you my link to my mini chat. So obviously, if you go into my chat bot, you will be chatting with a bot. But if you choose live chat, I will be able to jump in there and have a conversation with you. If not in Messenger, you also can email me at hello at com. Or go to my website, carriegotschalk.com. It is just under construction now, so give it until maybe May. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put links to all of those in the, what do you call them? Show notes. I've, mine went blank for a moment. <laughs> so yeah, anybody wants to get on your chatbot and see what an expert chatbot looks like, you can go and enjoy that there and wonder and bask in the awe that is Carrie's <laughs> chatbot. Carrie, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for your time and sharing so much knowledge. It's I've got pages of notes here. But yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure, Chad. There are two key skills which I encourage all my students to learn. One is email marketing and the other is some Facebook ads skills. With these two things, you'll very quickly be able to find new customers and grow a solid business. Without them, you'll always struggle to grow. If you've never run a Facebook ad, then I suggest you hit up Facebook and start that journey, even just with a £10 budget. If you want to try out Carrie's Messenger bot, then you'll find a link in the show notes. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe, and if you haven't already, to join our Facebook group. Again, it's amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. I would love for you to connect with me on social media. Follow me wherever you hang out. You'll find me there at Bob Gentle. And if you do follow me, message me so I know when I can follow you back. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes. It means so much to me and it's the best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Carrie for giving us her time this week. 
and to you for listening and see you next time.